the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my mommy and her friends on Trails and Testimonies. Come on, y'all. Let's go. Welcome to Trails and Testimonies. My name is Kim Fitz. You can follow me on Instagram or you can follow Trails and Testimonies on Facebook. Today's trail brings us to Banning Mills on the west side of Georgia. Beautiful zip lines, beautiful hiking trails. And we are here with our new friend, Sarah Claudia Tillman. Hello, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. And I love when I get to introduce someone and use their whole name. Yes. <laughs> Sarah Claudia Tillman. It's just a beautiful Southern full name. Well, thank you. She has a blog and she has a podcast as well on her journey. Because like I say, for our trails and testimonies, some of our testimonies we can feel on the horizon. We can feel that hurricane coming. We can feel the tornado coming. And we can kind of prepare for it. Other testimonies happen, and they are so unexpected and unpredictable. And you even said in your blog that what happened five years ago this month was so incredibly unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Yep. So walk us through what happened five years ago this month. 2015, I was pretty much a completely different person. I was a junior at Barry College. I just finished up my junior year, and I was on the equestrian team. I had a lot of friends at Barry. I was a psychology major, just, you know, living my, my best college life. I had just finished up my finals my junior year, and my plan, I had, I had all these plans. I'm such a planner. So my plan was to work on campus that summer. I was going to work at the horse barn and I was going to take some summer classes and start my senior year of college that fall and finish up my college career, both on the equestrian team and, you know, scholastically with my classes. But I had one little thing to take care of first before I could start all those plans. And on May 5th of 2015, I had driven back home to Carrollton and I went into the hospital to have my tonsils taken out because I had struggled with tonsillitis pretty much my whole life. I was always getting infected tonsils and they were so big that they would touch when they got really infected. So it was, it was miserable. Um, looking back, I probably could have, probably could have lived with it, but you know, hindsight, Hindsight, right. (laughs) So I went to the hospital to have my tonsils taken out and I was discharged that afternoon after my surgery. And I went back to my parents' house where I was going to recover for, you know, about a week before going back to campus. And my mother, I love her dearly. I've always loved her dearly. But she saved my life that night. She made the decision to sleep with me. I was 20 years old at the time. And she got in that bed with me. She said, I'm going to look out for her tonight. Because she just had that mother's intuition, I guess. And she woke up about 3 o'clock in the morning. And decided she would try to give me some water to coat my throat and just make sure I wasn't in too much pain. And instead of, you know, waking me up, giving me water and sending me back to sleep, she discovered me completely non-responsive. 
and couldn't wake me up, was shaking me and shaking me. I was barely breathing. So she called my dad up there and they called an ambulance. And we live way out in the country, so the ambulance could hardly find our house. So that was some drama in the midst of everything that was going on. But when I got back to the hospital, finally, I was intubated. I was placed on a ventilator. And this was about, I guess, four o'clock in the morning at that point, the day after my surgery. And my family, all they could do was wait because they this had happened so suddenly. They didn't know what had caused it. They didn't know if I was going to wake up. They didn't know if I would be able to breathe when I wake, woke up, if I would be able to talk or walk, or if I would be, you know, completely brain damaged. I was on the ventilator for about a day. When they finally decided to take the breathing tube out, I started breathing on my own, which was a step in the right direction. But as I began to regain consciousness and I began to talk a little bit, I told my dad, who he just happens to be an eye doctor, ironic, but I told him that I couldn't see anything and everything was completely black. So at that point, I was rushed to a different hospital where a lot more tests and scans were done. And during that stay, we figured out that in addition to losing my sight, I had also lost hearing in my left ear. So I went from being a completely normal, healthy 20-year-old college student with all these plans to being somebody with a disability who had no idea what her future would be, how to move forward, and how to deal with this new circumstance. And I can't imagine your mom's surprise, because as a mom, Mm -hmm. our four-year-old does still sleep with us sometimes, and to just roll over Mm -hmm. and find your baby like that. You know, like you said, this was five years ago this month, so when this time of the year rolls around, it's always very emotional um, for, for me and my parents, especially because we were all there that night. I mean, I don't remember any of it, so it's probably... It's more the aftermath for me that's emotional, but my parents, they remember that night and everything that happened. And I feel like each year I get a little bit more out of them because it took a long time for them to be able to talk about it. But my mom and I talked about that a lot this year. We spent the anniversary sitting by the pool, me and her. She just said, you know, you you wake up and you, like you said, you expect, okay, just going to give her some water and I'm sure she'll be fine. But she said it was just like I was in a really deep sleep. She thought, okay, she's just she's just really sleeping hard. But the more she shook me and the more I wouldn't wake up, the more terrified she got. I mean, that is the furthest thing from my mom's mind. Mm-hmm. And we, we can't even go there. Yeah. So God bless your mother for doing mm-hmm. the right thing, for calling the ambulance. And mm-hmm. the ambulance eventually getting to you and getting to the yeah, hospital eventually. and helping. Yeah. And I, I joke with her. I was like, what, what woke you up? Did you have to go to the bathroom? Like, what? What made you get up? And she said, I just woke up. Like, it, there was no, it was a God thing. It, it had that to That is completely been. God. And they said 30 more minutes. If 30 more minutes had passed, if she had slept for 30 more minutes, I wouldn't be here today. It was definitely God's timing and her listening, too. Because she said she thought, oh, I'll just go back to sleep. She'll be fine. But she said something just told her, no, I need to check on her. Well, thank you, Mama, if you're listening, yeah. that Sarah Claudia can sit right here next to us mm-hmm. and talk about your testimony. Okay. God never wants us to go through any kind of pain, mm-hmm. but I do certainly believe that he has a purpose once we do go through that pain. Mm-hmm. Yes, so I definitely agree. When you're walking through that, what happened the next 
couple of months mm-hmm. after because that had to have been quite a transition. It was. I spent a total of two weeks in the hospital. And when I finally was discharged, it was just a few days before my 21st birthday. So that was weird. Um, I, to this day, I can't remember who was at my 21st birthday party. I don't know if it was the medication I was on or just the trauma or just adapting to life without sight, but I don't have a lot of clear memories from those those first few weeks. And I, I know I spent a lot of time just on the, on the couch um, grieving, and a lot of generous people gave me a whole bunch of audiobooks and books on tape, so I spent most of my time just listening to audiobooks and kind of getting out of the, the reality I was in and going into a different reality because it was just so unfamiliar. Eventually, I kind of came to and I was like I don't I don't want this to be my life forever I don't want to spend the days in bed because that's what I was doing I was sleeping most of the day and my mom bless her I would wake up to the smell of sausage and french toast and this big breakfast cooking and I said this is great but I want to move on and I know that God gave me that mindset it, it didn't just come to me because you know I was in this situation where I didn't know how I was going to move on but I knew I wanted to and I thought, okay, I'll just figure everything out as I go. <laughs> so I, I prayed a lot. That's what got me through. You know, at the beginning, I say this a lot in all of my speaking engagements, but it was just prayers for healing at first. And I would go to bed every night and say, okay, God, when I wake up, just let me be able to see. And that's all I would say. And the next day when everything was still black, I would be more and more disappointed. But I kept praying that prayer. And eventually somewhere along the line, my prayer started to get a little bit longer with each prayer, and I started to think, okay, well, maybe it's not God's will to heal me right now. So I started to ask him just, you know, still for healing, but for guidance and comfort and just for a new purpose. When I started praying that, that's kind of when everything started to I say fall into place. That makes it sound a lot easier than it was, but it set things in motion. So. I knew I wanted to go back to school. I knew I wanted to finish my college career, but I knew I had a lot to learn. I had to learn how to be independent. I had to learn how to get around. I had to learn how to use technology so I could do my schoolwork. So probably two months after I lost my sight, I started doing all of that training. I started learning how to walk with a white cane and I would go up to Barrie and learn my way around campus. I started learning Braille. And I started learning how to use my computer, how to use my iPhone, um, how to use my iPad, just all the different things I would need to be independent and go back to school. And, you know, I talk about all the things I learned, but in the midst of that, of course, I was dealing with so much grief and so much just confusion on how my life had gone from being, you know, one way, one day and being completely different the next. So... It was very hard, but I kept myself very busy. We always say on Trails and Testimonies that you continued to hike. Mm -hmm. It got rocky. The path was not smooth. It was not easy, but you went uphill and you kept hiking. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're talking about your mom waking you up with sausage and all the breakfasts Mm -hmm. and the senses, have your other senses heightened Mm -hmm. because of that? Oh, yeah. Even And even though I lost hearing in one year completely... I still rely on my hearing that I do have so much that my hearing is definitely heightened. My sense of smell, um, my sense of touch, I use all the time. And in these days of viruses and stuff, that gets a little 
a little sketchy at times. I have to be really careful, but yeah, definitely I rely on those senses so much and I can hear, you know, when people are messing stuff in my house, getting in my refrigerator, <laughs> I can hear that, try to pull a fast one on me, but it's my snack. I know, I know. <laughs> what are you doing? But yeah, I definitely rely on them more and they're very heightened. And thank God for technology as well, mm-hmm. like with your phone and with the computer. Mm-hmm. So you did go back to Berry College. Yes. I went back to Barry and I was there for a semester and a half. So the first semester I went back was just eight months after losing my sight. I moved back on campus. I lived in a dorm room by myself and I made all A's that semester. That is so, so impressive. And I walked to class. It, it was big for me to be independent. Like I, I wanted to be able to walk to class by myself. I wanted to be able to do everything by myself. And my mom, she, she would drive like the first few days I went to class. She would park and watch me from afar and just make sure I got to class on my own. But I love your mom. I know she's precious, <laughs> but I, um, I did it. And I, the only reason I transferred from Barry and moved back to Carrollton to West Georgia was in the midst of all this, I was doing a lot of medical treatments, trying to find something that would bring my sight back. So we went to China, we went to Germany, um, we went to Nashville, to Florida, all over the place. So I, I made the decision after going back to Barry to move back home. So I would be closer to my family for the medical trips we were, we were trying and just to be closer to them too for moral support. So I transferred to West Georgia and finally graduated in December of 2019. Congratulations. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) It was a long, it was a long journey and I, I changed my major a couple of times. I actually did special education after I lost my sight for a while. I did student teaching and everything as a blind student teacher. It was it was an adventure, but I learned a lot in the process, but I graduated with my psychology degree. You are remarkable. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know how I did it, <laughs> honestly. I don't I don't know how you did it either. That is so impressive. And to be blind and to be going around to these other countries, mm-hmm. what kind of fear did you have in you or did you, because sometimes when you have this fear, I know, mm-hmm. and not anything like what you've had, but we all have fear. And when we pray and when we let God mm-hmm. into our lives, yeah. for some reason, that fear just goes away. It does. And I learned to do that at the very beginning because my parents and my family might tell you otherwise, but I never remember panicking. I never remember really having a, a panic, oh my goodness, I can't see moment. And I know that was God coming in and taking that fear before I even knew it was there because he put this this mindset in me from the beginning that I can do it because I I remember just laying in bed one day and thinking well why can't I go back to school why can't I do these things and I knew I could with him and I knew he would help me find a way and he just put that mindset in me from the beginning and that was such a blessing because it it helped me to do all of the things that I would do in the next few months like you said traveling and um, just never letting my disability stop me it was it was all God so what were some of the answers that you got from those uh, hospital visits? Um, not very much hope. My eye, it, it's its weird because people look at me and they're like, oh, you don't look blind. I'm like, well, thanks. I, guess, I, don't, I don't know if that's a compliment or how I'm supposed to look, but my eye looks completely normal if you look at it because the eye itself isn't damaged. It's the optic nerve from my lack of oxygen for however long I was laying there not being able to breathe good. It damaged my optic nerve. So my eye itself works fine. It's just what's connecting my eye to my brain is damaged. And so my eyes are taking in 
the picture, but it can't get to my brain, if that makes sense. So it's hard because nerves like that don't like to regenerate themselves. So we've tried stem cells, we've tried um, this. <laughs> I always like to say, I, I wanna say electric shock, but it wasn't, it was like an electric pulse type therapy in Germany. We've tried a lot of different steroids, just anything we could have tried. We've tried and nothing's really worked so far, but my dad's an eye doctor, so he's always looking for the next new thing, but also a lot of prayers. And the irony there that mm -hmm. your dad is an eye doctor. I know. That his path, of course, matched up with yours. Mm -hmm. That is incredible. Yeah. It's been hard for him, but it's also been a blessing for us just to be able to give us a little bit more of understanding and a little more hope kind of knowing getting to hear from him you know yeah this is damaged but the rest of this is good and, and him being able to explain it has been a blessing what are some of the things that you have done that are on your bucket list mm -hmm. of things to do that you have done mm -hmm. since five years ago so I love traveling so big thing on my bucket list has been just to travel anywhere that I can so I've been to Hawaii and swam with dolphins. I've ziplined in Hawaii. Um, I have been to Ireland. That was a big bucket list thing. Um, really just anything people say to me that I can't do because of my blindness, that goes on my bucket list. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do it because you said I can't. <laughs> and that's kind of been my mindset. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it, it really motivates me to find a way to do things. And a lot of the things I've done since I lost my sight are things that I've, I did before. So zip lining, I had done that. Swimming with dolphins, I had done that. Hiking, I had done all those things, but they're things that I enjoyed so much. I didn't want to limit myself and say, oh, I'll never be able to enjoy that again because I can't see it. So I wanted to do all those things again with a new perspective and figure out, you know, how, how can I enjoy hiking when I can't see all that's around me? And how can I enjoy ziplining when I can't see what I'm flying over or traveling to new places when I can't see the sights? You know, I, I didn't want to let that part of me go. And that was very important to me. And it was it was a good way to tell my dad, we need to go this place because, you know, I can't see, but I can still enjoy it and <laughs> take me. And he's like, okay, yes. honey. Yeah. No, but <laughs> I joke about that. But we've always loved traveling. And that was just something that it took me a while to get past the fact that I wouldn't be able to see all the new sites but I realized you know I can still hear the sounds I can still learn about the culture and hear about the history I can hike and feel the different terrain you know there's so many ways God's created this earth he didn't just create it one dimensionally there's so many different aspects to it there's the the creatures he created all the people the different ways we live it's just there's so much to enjoy without just looking at things and I just adore your beautiful perseverance. Thank you. I mean, you did say that you slowed down for two months because mm -hmm. you were grieving. Yes. Do you still feel that sometimes of grief? Yes. And that's a big part of my story that I like to get across to people. Grief, I don't think it ever really goes away. I think that grief is always there. But you find tools. You, you pick up tools along the way to be able to deal with it better. But I think those stages of grief for me... I cycle through them like there could be one day where I cycle through all the stages of grief like I can wake up and be as happy as ever but then an hour later something happens that just frustrated me and I start getting you know 
sad again. I'm like, oh, I just wish I could see and, you know, start bargaining with God. You know, you go through all those things. But as time goes on, for me, a lot of it has been prayer. And I've been learning over the past five years how to pray to God and how to really just fall on my knees and just cry out to him because I've never been okay being vulnerable. That's never been easy for me. And I've been learning the more vulnerable I can be with God, the the better it is for me to handle my grief on those bad days. It's been a journey of being vulnerable with myself too, because I know we, we talked about this earlier, but you can overcompensate with being okay when you're grieving. And I definitely did that at the beginning. I was zero to 60 after the two months that I spent kind of recuperating physically. I was like, okay, I got to I got to do this. I got to accomplish this. I got to prove that I can still live. And I'm, I feel like I'm constantly trying to prove myself. And that's been something that I've definitely struggled with accepting the fact that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay sometimes to see my disability and know that I have limits um, because you have to ex- accept that part. You have to be strong, but you have to accept that, okay, it's not always going to be hunky-dory it's not always going to be okay and you're not always going to accomplish things like you would want to but I think that you have accomplished tons and at the end of this episode we are going to walk across a suspension bridge we sure are and we are not going to look down you two aren't going to look down I'm just going to go across that bridge but then that's another thing like I live by the verse walk by faith not by sight I think so many times we get distracted by what we see on this earth and worldly things and material things. We forget that God is wanting to walk right there beside us. And I've kind of been forced to learn how to walk by faith, you know, literally and spiritually. And that has helped me out so much. Just leaning on my faith through all this and knowing that, okay, I might not be able to see what's ahead, but God's up there going ahead of me. And that's kind of been what's driven all the things I've tried all the crazy things I've done without my sight that could have been borderline dangerous or just scary you know going back to school moving into my own house knowing that God's walking ahead of me gives me that confidence to keep going that he's already cleared that path Mm -hmm. for you yeah and he has your purpose ahead and I love being on the sidelines watching your purpose unfold at your speaking engagements with your blog with your podcast It's very inspirational. Thank you. So at the end of every episode, we do a happy trails to you. (laughs) And I always like to leave on a happy note with an Mm -hmm. inspiring quote. So this one kind of goes along with the, the verse I just mentioned, walk by faith, not by sight. But it's Martin Luther King Jr. Faith is taking that first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. And I love that for me, especially, but just for anybody, you know, when you, when you're scared about your future, when you're unsure about the path you're on, or just if you're struggling with something dark, knowing that faith will help you take that first step and you don't have to know what's going to happen. You don't have to have it all planned out. You don't have to know what your future holds. Just have that faith that God's got it. And he's going to get you step by step up that staircase. And before you know it, you're going to be at the top looking back at everything you've accomplished and thinking, I don't know how I got here, but I know God carried me the whole way. And you can shout, Adrian. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) You can follow Sarah Claudia Tillman with her podcast, Finding Light. And you can also follow her blog and her on Instagram as well. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Trails and Testimonies. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's go walk across that suspension bridge. (laughs) Thank you.
remember to subscribe. Bye. I guess that's it, guys. Bye, then.